Good morning, everyone. It uh, never ceases to amaze me that the context that you're in uh, can be so different. And uh, I'm not so much of late, but I'm used to doing this kind of thing over the years in front of lots of people. And then when I come to my home church where I grew up, I get really scared. And I mean, really scared. And I was going to brush past it, but as I've sat over there, I think the Lord is even in that. Because I want to speak into the prophetic destiny of the church at Junction 10 this morning. I didn't think I was going to be doing that. I thought I was going to be speaking a very personal message to us as individuals about what makes us great as a, a community or as a church. But as I've sat over there, I feel actually there's more than that, or there's both. And one of the greatest things that we will face when God urges us forward as a community is fear. It is huge. It grips us. It changes us. It prevents us doing things that we would do. It causes us to keep doing things that otherwise we wouldn't do. So I want to make a stand against my own fear this morning. And if that's you in your individual life, that you're gripped by fear, let's pray and expect that as the Lord unlocks me, he'll unlock you. Is that a deal? Is that okay? I think there's something reasonably biblical in that somewhere. The Bible tells us that the devil's a liar. It also tells us that he comes to rob, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. But we have to enter it, don't we? We have to resist the enemy. And the Bible says he will flee from us. Do you believe that? So as I pray now, I'm speaking to you as an individual, to me as an individual, because this is real. Just ask the Lord to unlock fear in your life, particularly the stuff that's hidden, because that's the most dangerous. And then we'll pray over us as a church, and then we'll dive into what I believe God's given me for you this morning. Is that okay? I'm going to just give a little bit of silence first, because the Spirit of God doesn't need noise. In fact, most often he operates under stillness. So let's just hold. If you want to close your eyes, feel free. If you don't want to, that's fine. close us, Lord, that it gives us the freedom that Christ has set us free. No longer to be yoked to slavery. And so, Lord, we just commit ourselves to this morning as a group of individuals that you love dearly. And we pray, Lord, that as we give ourselves to you, as we resist the enemy, that you will set us free from the fears that inhibit us, that hold us back. And to us as a congregation, as a community, as a church, Warsaw Evangelistic Centre, 
the church at Junction Place to commit us to you as our Heavenly Father and to Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and to the Holy Spirit, the great manifester of the works of God. In Jesus' name, we agree. Amen. 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 I want to talk to you this morning about three G, three greats. That's okay. My heart is to uh, bless you and challenge you. It's to encourage you and to provoke you. God knows if we're on a journey, and as a congregation, I think you're pretty clear that we're on a journey. If there's one thing that we really, really need, it's courage. Great, great courage. It's no surprise that fear will be prevalent in our individual and corporate lives. Courage. I also want to speak to you as, as individuals because the message I want to share is about you. But it's also about us as a church and maybe even as the wider body of Christ. In that context, I want to just define who I am, who you are, and who we are. So I was born in this church, not actually physically born, that would have been interesting, wasn't it? I grew up from the age of about 11 or 12, from about 1980-ish. So I've seen quite a few things happen over the years. I, I felt a call from God in the, goodness knows, early to mid-1990s to begin working with other churches and congregations and, and groups, and that developed over a period of time so that now probably half of my week is given to serving Jesus and his body across Warsaw and the black country. That's who I, in the natural, I wouldn't cross the road for me. But in the spiritual dimension, God has done something and is doing something that gives me an identity, a future, and a destiny. Just as he has for you. So, who are you? I want to encourage you this morning that God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. Every single one of us as individuals. None of us are left out. And it's really important that we connect with the destiny and the calling that God has for us in our lives. Otherwise, we will drift. We will cast off restraint and we'll lack the vision we need to live our lives purposefully in the way that God wants us to do. And you as an individual have a key part to play in what God is saying and doing in this congregation. Do you believe that? Do you really, really believe that? Who are we? Just as the context that, that you are a key part of this congregation, we, as the Church at Junction 10, previously known as Warsaw Evangelistic Centre, have an absolutely key part to play in the destiny of this town. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? again. We, you and I, we, have an absolutely key part to play in the plans and purposes that God has for this city of Warsaw. I would go beyond and say that the four borders of the black country, God is speaking. He is brooding over this region. And I would say 
and I say it prophetically, I don't know. We will see one of the most significant moves of God in history in the coming days. How long the coming days are is largely dependent on our ability to receive the word that God brings us and to say amen. This is more than words. It's the posture of our hearts. Well, you know who I am. You know who you are. And you know who we are. What I want to do now is to read a prophetic word that came last year. As in my wider context of working with churches and being with people, leaders, intercessors, business types, and across the Borthville and the borough, we were praying. And we were praying for our region very, very specifically because God is speaking very, very clearly to a group of people from across different churches and organizations and denominations. And in, one, in, in most of these settings last year, where we're talking about a region, your church, our church, kept coming right to the center of the stage every single time we met. It was driving some people mental. I thought it was great. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And reaffirmed my sense over many years that this, this congregation, this community, this church has a very prophetic role to play. Very interesting what the Lord said. So rather than me talking about it, I'm going to read it out. We chronicle. When God speaks to us, we write it down and we chronicle it because it's, we think it's really important to do that, to honor him in his word. I felt the Lord just declaring over Junction 10 that it was a battleground. Anybody aware that you might have been in a battleground, guys? Yeah? I felt the Lord say, this is a war zone. Not only for Junction 10 itself, but it's a war zone in relation for the black country too. And I want you to understand that it's not just Junction 10's battleground and war zone. It is your war zone. So he's speaking to the broader context through your, through our story. For of themselves, listen to this, for of themselves, Junction 10, they haven't the strength to push through to victory. But together with them, you can push through to victory. I would say this is a type of what's to come, for none of your congregations on their own can push through into victory. But I would say this is a type of something to come, that all the congregations can push through to victory if they are not left in isolation as individual congregations, but are seen as an expression of the heart that I have placed within the black country. And this is, this is the section now, which I think is really interesting. There was, a, there was a message in tongues and then there was an interpretation. I had a sense that the Lord wanted to give Junction 10, out of this process, a new name. A new name. And I was led to the church of Pergamon, book of Revelation, which is interesting because it's where Satan's throne was. So they were in battle, and it says, he who has an ear, that's part of Satan's thing going on, he who has an ear, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. In Scripture, we find, when does God give new names, guys? Can you think of any, any people where God changed their names? 
look like it, a release of destiny. Can anyone think of, of, of people's names that God changed in the scriptures? Jacob, Abraham from Abram, and his missus was Sarai, became Sarah. And you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. I would argue that the time when God looks to change people's names is when he is reshaping or reforming their identity. And as Brian has so rightly shared, releasing a new wave of destiny, of ministry, and purpose. Let me read another section of scripture to biblically ground this. If you think about us as a congregation, think about us as a town. You substitute the word Warsaw or Junction 10 instead of the word Zion. Zion prophetically speaks of the church. For Warsaw's sake, listen to the passion and intensity of God's word in this day. For Junction 10's sake, for Warsaw's sake, I will not keep silent. For her sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Think about the region you were born into whose glory is in its past. There is no hope and no great future, is there? The liar tells us. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. I have posted watchmen on your walls. Warsaw, Junction 10. They will never disown you. Day, night, day, night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes you and makes the praise of the end. There's a verse in there that says the name that the Lord will bestow. So it isn't our job to rename ourselves. It's his job. And if he chooses to do that, literally, then we will be ready to receive that, won't we? As God speaks to us very, very clearly. Okay. Now, if I was going to have a name, so this is slightly tongue-in-cheek, but I would love to change the name J10 to 3G. Just to keep it kind of a number and a letter. Is that okay? I'd like to change it to 3G. The reason being is I think there are three greats that I can see, I think, in the New Testament somewhere that determine the greatness of a church, the greatness of a community, the greatness of a congregation. There is, the, there is a community. We could be a great community. We could be shaped by defining ourselves as, as a great community. Or we could be shaped or we could be predestined by God to be shaped by the Great Commission. You're going to be hearing about that in a little moment from our friend Wally uh, and Mandy. And there's also the Great Commandment. And I want to ground these a bit more biblically in a minute. Let's just start with the first one. 
There are lots of places around our nation and around our area who are choosing to define themselves by being a great community. So they are measuring themselves against themselves. What do I mean by that? There are some very large, growing congregations that we could aspire to be around the nation, maybe even around the black country. I could list off names of churches that you will hear of the blessing of God and some great stuff going on. But what, what do we tend to use as the defining factors in that great community? I would argue to you, <coughs> to you, with you, that, that there are things like they've got great worship. Oh, the worship. Ooh. Oh, the preaching. Oh, we can preach. That's life. There are some great personalities. There are some great characters that churches are, are founded in and around. Um, my only concern, guys, with that stuff is it will change. It does change. I can remember, Ian, 25 years ago, us leading a Sunday night service, and our worship was defined thus. Steve Storley came out and gave notices. John came out, or Andre, or Bob came out and welcomed people, and then we had a first hymn. Remember that? And then we had some more notices. And then we'd have a second hymn. And then we'd have a singer or a testimony. And then we'd have a third hymn with the offering. And then we'd have the preacher. And then we'd have the final hymn. And then we'd have the benediction. I'm saying it with a smile, guys. I, it was great. It was a wonderful liturgy. But I tell you what, if you remember, Ian, we, we ended up doing, we got up and we did some songs and we did a, a worship set like today for about 40 minutes. And the people exploded because it was so fresh and so new. And we tried to do it the following week. It was flat. It fell flat, didn't it? The reason I share that with you guys is our worship can become a liturgy. It binds us. And we could be another 20 years before we find another expression. I'm not saying that, but that can be the case. And we can, we can base ourselves on great preachers or great personalities or on great characters. But my first point of conclusion is this. We cannot be defined as a community, by being defined by a community. And that sounds very philosophical. Let me restate it. We can't measure ourselves by ourselves. We can't measure ourselves by what's happening around us. The only thing that we can measure ourselves by is what God is saying. Critical. And as we are in this battle zone of change and moving, for goodness sake, we've lost a building, a leadership structure, Things seem to be really, really unsettled for some of us. For others, it's a time of great excitement and hope and change. And that's what you'll always get with a community of people, different personalities reacting in, in certain ways. The key, guys, whether we're living in a, a sense of, oh, what, what, what used to be or what, what should be, or whether we're living in a sense of what could be, but we ain't quite sure. The key in all that is that we remain close to hearing the word of the Lord. I'll say it again, that we remain close to hearing the word of the Lord. Great community, I argue, is not defined by being a great community. Secondly, the Great Commission. Wally, you want to come up and share some stuff with us down at your notes? Well, what I wanted to do today, is there's, there's some fantastic news happening in the church at Junction 10 that Wally's going to share now. In Matthew 28, and I think it's Mark, it doesn't matter where it is, but Matthew 16, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach.
preach the gospel to all creation. He goes on. All authority in heaven has been given to me, so go. So, some would argue that the size or the success or the stature of a church is not measured by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. A great church in the eyes of Jesus, according to the word of God, are people who are obedient, who do what he says. And we don't need a new word on this. Jesus has said, go. In the past, Junction 10 has been a great sending church into different locations, different themes. And I'm sure there are some incredible expressions to come in the future. But right now, rather than me rabbiting on, here's a living example of how we can be defined by the Great Commission. Wally. Good morning. Can I have my first slide, please? Um, just before we start, we've been singing about going up mountains. And I don't know, but I do rock climbing. And I've done hill walking. And sometimes you get halfway up a hill and it's a bit higher than you think. And then also, when I do rock climbing, you go with a team or with your friends. And sometimes there's stuff that boots you and you fall off. But will your anchor hold? Sometimes some people can't get up, but there are people who can push past and get to the top. And I'd like to say thank you to friends and supporters for helping push past and getting to where we are. So Living Water, Missional Community, plant out into the community, has got some announcements. So can I have my next slide? So it's good news, all right? So I'd like to say thank you to all our friends, supporters, 100 Club members, and all the churches who have helped us. We're pleased to announce that we've been looking for a coffee shop for 18 months. We've had some setbacks, but now we've got planning permission and we're on the verge of signing a lease. Can I have my next slide, please? Now, this is a shop. It's at 5 Stafford Street, Willinghall. That's the outside. It's by Cancer Research Shop, Sue Rider Shop. Can I have the next slide, please? This is inside. It was... Um, a check shop. It's being divided into four rooms down on the ground floor. Can I have my next slide, please? Thank you. Okay, so it's four rooms, right? There's one at the front. When they are standing there is the second room. Karen and Mandy are in the third room. And then the next one, please. Okay, this is the back room, which is going to end up a kitchen in our coffee shop, but it's a bit grotty at the moment. It needs a bit of work doing. So, Next slide, please. Thank you. Okay, so we're looking for people to help us with skills who can do painting, decorating, a bit of plumbing. So you can contact me or another lady called Bill Livingston, right? Because we want to turn this building into our coffee shop. So next slide, please. Okay, there's some plans there. So at the front, up the top, shall I go up here? is a gift shop, 22-seater cafe, kitchen at the back, offices upstairs. Next slide, please, thank you. We invite you to continue to journey with us. As you already have, a lot of you already have helped us in different ways. You've had gift parties, you've been part of the 100 Club, you've supported us, right? But we now need to look at how we're going to run the coffee shop. We've got a team of 16, 
but we need more people to help. So we want waitresses, waitress, waiters, kitchen staff, and even people to help with washing up. Next slide, please. Thank you. So that's what it's all about. It's about tea and coffee. It's about waitress service going and meeting people. Now, Tim mentioned watchmen. God has been speaking to me about watchmen. Not watchmen are on the wall looking and praying, reporting how the battle's going, but watchmen are also there in the place God gives them words to say or not what to say to tell the people to learn them what is right and wrong. That's our job. Next slide, please. So upstairs there's room for offices. Can I have the next one, please? So can you help us achieve this vision of a coffee shop? Can you support us? And the last one, please, thank you. So in closing, I'd like to thank you all for all your love and support, and thank you very much. So a great church isn't divide, divide, defined by its own activities and comparing them with others. To be a great community. But the Great Commission does shape. It has to shape who we are, doesn't it? We have to be people who reach out. We have to be people who go out. And if the church at Junction 10 is just what we do on a Sunday morning, between the hours of whatever it is, 11 and 1, then God knows what he wants us to be doing in the other 166 hours of our week. Can I show you something to encourage you, Wally? I'll ask you rather than this. Can I share some stories with you? Just a couple of things that are happening broader that landed on my desk this week, which just blessed the socks off me and helped me to see a another group of churches out there that are being defined by the Great Commission. As you'll see there, there's a beautiful police signal. I haven't drawn it. It's real. I've it put it in colour. I'm a bit of a tightwad with my printer, but I want to use it as authentic. This came from a group of churches in West Brom. It's not a secret, so I can say there's a church in cent called Centrepoint that meet on the high street in West Brom. They've been there for donkey's years. Joy knows them, big Dave. Uh, and they give themselves out. So they've, they've given themselves to feeding the poor, clothing the naked, and the rest of that scripture that you know better than me that just slipped out of my mind. They give themselves to outreach, to reach people, not just with a word gospel, but with acts. They do stuff, and this may give you some ideas. So th this week, the police issued a, this email out, and it, the, the title, and it was from the 14th of May, whenever that was, was this, Sandwell Drugs Raid Arrest Tally Climbs to 58 After Latest Dawn Raids. Six men and women have been arrested in raids across the black country, this morning in a Sandwell-wide crackdown on crime, and it goes on. I've just highlighted a few of the main bits. It's called something called Safer Six, which is a police operation, is a long-running Sandwell-based operation which has helped drive down crime levels across the borough to record lows. If anyone's saying, what's that got to do with church, I will beat you with a stick. I, I won't literally beat you with a stick, but I'll be quite upset. Because this is one of the definitions for definite transforming revival in communities that God is desperate to see. I've got a list of them. But this is one, crime. It's not part of God's plan yet, I believe. So 
David, Pastor David, sent me this email. Hi, Tim. The police update is in the public domain, so I would think there'd be no problem with sharing this, because obviously, can we share this? Can we share it with other churches to inspire them, other groups to inspire them? Regarding our prevailing prayer, it is no secret either. They have been praying specifically against crime and specifically against drugs crime. And it's the reason why is, is this. Our specific focus came a few months ago when one of our, our own teenage daughters, not used one of the, in the church, became drawn into a local gang and it hit home. Like George Otis says, that's the guy, we haven't got time to cover that now, but who, the Sentinel group travel the world and they film and they record and they document real life transforming revivals. Phenomenal. Maybe we'll talk about that another time. It is when invasive issues come into your life that you really pray. When something becomes invasive into your world, you really, really pray. It's since caused us not only to pray prevailing prayer, but the Lord is starting to open up opportunities to engage in the beaches area of West Bromwich with the support of the local officers, police. We're looking at developing a collaborative piece of work with other churches right now. On another note, in this, oh, this is nice. we're opening a second location in partnership with Marbles. Does anyone know Marbles? In Great Bridge, a fantastic Christian charity. They work predominantly with people with significant mental health issues. Our friends there have given us a whole first floor with offices and worship training space in their shop in Great Bridge for free. So the next few months, we'll be starting to look to start alpha courses, advice centers, language courses, and a worshiping community from the site. Nearly done. On another note, we've continued to see converts and healings in recent weeks. Three Polish attendees at one of our Polish language class alpha course got saved. Amen? Is this, is this not what it's about, guys? Three Russian-speaking Latvians two weeks ago also got saved during Sunday worship. So bringing people into church hasn't gone out of fashion, has it? We still want to gather people as well as going out. One young adult got saved this week during a Steps to Freedom session with Denise. Tim, the lame are walking and people with cataracts are being healed. And he finishes, and you'll have to know him to smile. So be encouraged, my friend. The fire is on the way. Folks, I believe the fire is on its way. It's only a matter of time. And I have notes there, if anybody wants them. We can have them for free. Of what are the defining characteristics of a genuine, transforming revival. And one of the key, it says here, is while many Christians assume that transforming revival is about growing congregations, defining ourselves by ourselves, it is actually a matter, hear this, of renaming or re-identifying our city. You hear that? True transforming revival is not defined by church growth, it's transformed by city changing. The whole of Warsaw being transformed by the power of God through people like Wally and Mandy, people like Ian and Paul, people like you, 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 and you. 
So my hope and prayer, guys, is that the church at Junction 10, Warsaw Evangelistic Center, or whatever name the Lord may choose to throw at us in the future as he redefines us, whatever our name is, that we will be more and more shaped by the Great Commission than the Great Commission. Finally, I believe there is a step further on from being defined as a great, uh, by the Great Commission, and it's being defined by the Great Commandment. And this is the passion, I think, Lord, of my life and heart. The revelation came to me being part of you guys in the 1990s when you used to sing the song, The Greatest Thing in All My Life is Knowing You. Remember it? The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. I'm not seven, so I, I, won't, I won't get you going. The three verses, the greatest thing in all my life are knowing you, loving you, and serving you. Sadly, the Christian church has flipped it round, and we try to serve Jesus and think by serving him, we'll love him, and by loving him, we'll know him. And the evidence around us, guys, the evidence around us, and this is, if this is a challenge, I can't apologize. The evidence is there. The Christian church is more disconnected from community now than it's ever been, ever. Yes, there are exceptions, but in, in the main, and remember, we are part of something wider. It's not just us. Something needs to shift. In Matthew's gospel, in Mark's gospel, some religious people come to Jesus because he's just answered a question brilliantly with another, the other group, the Sadducees. So the Pharisees come to him and they say, Lord, tell us, what's the greatest commandment? And do you know what he says? He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, I believe it is. Just close your eyes, if you wouldn't mind. We're not going to look at it at all. Close your eyes and listen, because this, this, this is the answer, guys. What's, what is really great? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Sadly, instead of hearing the heart of God in these words, many of God's people heard the propositions, the notions, the images. They formed religious rules and acts around them, but they lost the substance and the reality, and the heart of God. So my proposition as we draw this to a close is I would love it, and I think God would love it even more, if Junction 10 Church was defined by its love for him. Very simple. The great commandment. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. 
your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found in them fault. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This is the Amplified. But I have this one charge to make against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. You have deserted me, your first love. Jesus doesn't question the love of the church in Ephesus. He doesn't question that they loved him. But he does question how they loved him. In John chapter 21, I've got it here. We haven't got time to read it out. Is the story of Jesus reinstating Peter. And what was the question that he asks Peter? Jesus asked the question, do you love me? Or does he ask the question, do you love me more than these? Now, I don't think for a second Jesus questioned Peter's love for him. But he did question where that love went in order of priority. And I think for some of us, I can say for myself over many years, I have loved worship more than Jesus. I've loved preaching more than I've loved Jesus. I've loved church more than I've loved Jesus. And the concept of first in that scripture isn't just a chronological issue. For people like me who grew up in church who didn't have a dynamic conversion experience, I can't go back to a period of time, the honeymoon when I got saved and I loved Jesus so much. Oh, it was amazing. I don't have that. But what I can have and what you can have is to know Jesus and love him where he takes first place every day of our lives from here on in. First love. Is Jesus your first love? See, God is a lover. He passionately pursues me. He passionately pursues you. We're not robots. We're not machines. We're not meant to just obey and do stuff and fall into liturgies and follow certain philosophical pathways and quote scripture. We're meant to respond to his love. Listen to this. Psalm 27. This one thing I ask, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What comes next? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To seek him in his temple. Sadly, and this is a challenge, not only do we not necessarily know the next line in that verse, but for many of us, myself included, we don't have the experience of gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. We are content to dwell in his house. We're content to dwell in his house, but we don't know the experience of gazing upon his beauty. to seek him in his temple. 
because it ain't hard anymore, is it? And my heart, my plea, my cry, is that that will be the defining reality that changes the nature, the destiny, and maybe even the name of the church of Junction 10, Warsaw Evangelistic Conference. Finally, for some of you guys who've been on the road a lot longer than me, who may be resistant, I do know Jesus, I do love him, I do know what it is to gaze upon his beauty. Let me, let me remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, at the end of his life, when he's in prison, at the end of his life, when he's seen all manner of things happen, planted churches, raised the dead, seen scores of people converted, that man knew Jesus. He knocked him off a horse. At the end of his life, Paul lists his credentials, where he was born, what tribe he was part of, how good he was at following the law. But then he says this, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. I consider them, it sounds sorry, but the word is an expletive. It is a swear word, but I don't do it in grammar. I consider them dung is one of the best translations we'll get to. I consider anything else dung for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus as Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. And then he says this, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Flipping heck, Paul. What do you mean? I want to follow him. I want to know him. I want to gaze upon his beauty. I want to gaze upon his beauty. I'll do it for the rest of eternity because I'll always be lonely, finding fresh things around him, being amazed by him. Let's just pray. I was going to play you a Westlife clip, which you'd have loved, but time's gone. A few years ago, I saw a program. I was just lying down. And one of them rare moments where I had nothing to do. And there was a Westlife program on. And as part of the program, there was a lady called Sabrina who was getting married. If you look at it on Google, it is absolutely hilarious. She's put Westlife tribute to wedding. And this lady called Sabrina desperately wanted to have a tribute act at a wedding. So her fiancé, bless him, who was very secure, contacted Westlife. And Westlife, I'm sure for the publicity, agreed to turn up on a night where she was watching a number of Westlife tribute acts. And you, the camera's on her. She's sat, she's singing the songs. And the band that's on, the tribute act, suddenly leaves the stage and on comes real Westlife. And she screams. And she screams. made me cry because as I was watching it the Lord spoke to me and he said Clint you have lived your life worshipping a 
contributor. It's about time you do it, son. And worship the real God, that you touch the original. So Lord, we thank you that you haven't sent us a substitute. You didn't send us a set of principles. You didn't leave us with a philosophy or just a book. But you invested yourself, the very best of yourself, so that you could enter a relationship with me as an individual, but also us as a group, as a community, and us maybe even as a region, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, help, help us as individuals to digest some of the things we've heard through things that people have shared, through the worship, through Wally's presentation, and through my thoughts, Lord. Help us individually to give ourselves to seeking you and gazing upon your beauty, not just wanting to be in your house, not just wanting to be around you, but to be intimate with you. And we pray, Lord, that as whatever plans you have for us as individuals, plans and purposes unfold into a future that none of us know, that as we grow, learn and grow to know you more, that our confidence will overtake our fear and that you will continue to redefine us, reshape us, revive us, and we'll pray that as a church too, Lord, that we will be ready to hear your words when you ask us to do things that are fresh, that are new, that are require courage, that require us to overcome fear. And Lord, if it is that you rename us, relocate us, send us back to the land that we believe we're married to, whatever plans and purposes you've got, Lord, in your leadership, style, and structure, and purpose, let us remember that we're not defined by ourselves. We're not even defined by the things that we do, as great as they could be, we, but that ultimately we are defined by this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and strength. Were the whole realm of nature made, that will not in fact be seen. Love so amazing, so divine, demands action and not blame. Only you, Lord, can command love. Help us to obey in Jesus' name.